Would you stand and listen for these words of life from 1 Peter? This morning we're reading from chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Now who will harm you if you're eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear and do not be intimidated. But in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if suffering should be God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were saved through water and baptism, which this prefigured now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. The word of life. Thanks be to God. So did you notice in those 10 verses we read, 10 times the author uses the word fear or abuse or harm or suffering or persecution, intimidation. Clearly it's relevant to those to whom he's writing how they deal with suffering, how they deal with persecution. What kind of situation were they in that this author is writing so much about that. We know some about what happened. Back in July of the year 64 CE or the Common Era or some 30 years after Christ is crucified, we know that a relative period of calm where the church is just a few Christians scattered across the Mediterranean area now come under a time of persecution and even torture. It all started when the Roman Emperor Nero blamed a great fire that destroyed much of Rome on Christians as a group. He began to make accusations and moved into what today we would call hate speech, which then turned into mob violence and finally became government-sanctioned persecution, torture, and sometimes death. We don't know the exact year that this letter was written, but it was in a time like that in the first century when the early Christians were suffering both persecution and prejudice and torture at times as well as death. And it's fascinating to me that in the midst of that kind of circumstance, this author is writing about being gentle and reverent. He is saying that even if you are being accused unjustly, even if you're suffering unjustly, 
They are instructed to do so in such a way as to be an imitator of Christ, whom in his last hours was accused unjustly and arrested and tortured and crucified, put to death. In the very next verse, after where we finished reading today, it's chapter 4, verse 1, the author says this, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same intention. What was that intention of Christ? The intention, of course, is to reveal and glorify God's magnificent love toward the world. And this author is saying, if you're going through times of trial, you can be an imitator of Christ by the way you engage in your own experience. And not only that, but if you engage or receive or experience whatever circumstances of trial and tribulation you might be going through when you receive them or experience them and still show gentleness and reverence, then you become a part of the revealing and saving work of God in the world. This author is saying that God can speak through you and your life, even as God spoke through the life of Christ. But then he goes even a step further with his instructions and says, be ready to give a reason for your hope if anyone ever asks you or accuses you of something in terms of your faith. Be ready to talk about your hope when you talk about why you are a Christian. It's reminded me of a time when I was just a year or two out of seminary living back here in Tulsa. I'd been a pastor just long enough to know that all the theological vocabulary and all the nuances between different theologians that you learn about in seminary are about of this much interest to people in the pew. <laughs> they really don't care how many different theologians I can quote. They just want to know, can you help me put it into practice? Does this Christian faith make any difference in terms of how I live? Does it enrich my life? So I sort of had this reservoir of Bible knowledge and theology that people weren't all that interested in. When one day I hear a knock at my door, and it's a couple of young men who've come by to talk to me about doctrine. I say, oh my, come right on in. <laughs> Let me get you a glass of water. Do we have things to talk about? They quote a scripture. I quote another one. They tell me what they believe. I tell them something else. I ask them questions. I probably enjoyed their confusion a little too much. And when they quickly were ready to excuse themselves and leave, I smiled and bid them farewell. But perhaps I was a little too aggressive, or maybe someone might have said I was a little caustic in my responses to them, and maybe instead of adding to their hope, I was kind of tearing at the fabric of their hope. I would do well to remember what our author says today because I think I missed that part about our witness being one that is gentle and reverent in manner. This is the way 1 Peter says it. 
Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and reverence. Do it with gentleness and reverence. Be ready to give a reason for your hope. Are you ready to do that? Give a reason for your hope in terms of your Christian faith? Most of the folks I have talked to over several years of ministry get a little tense and a little anxious when we talk about any kind of verbal witnessing or talking about our faith to someone who might not believe similar to how we believe. First Peter reminds all of us, just remember the story. Our story is one of life circumstances that might be suffering, might even be death, but we believe in resurrection. We believe that God's love is greater than anything and everything we're going to experience, and that love can carry us through any and all circumstances of our life. Be ready to give a reason for your hope based on the story that we tell in the Christian scriptures. First Peter, as he's talking about hope, says in verse 18, I put this in your outline when he's talking about having hope because of Christ. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. We have a hope because we believe in the unconquerable love of God. We have hope because we believe those who were witnesses to the resurrection are sharing with us as resurrection conspirators, if you will, the news and the power of God's love that's even stronger than death. We have hope because we believe in resurrection to eternal life. As you read through the scriptures, it is clear that Jesus and Paul and Peter all have this same message of hope over time. They all counsel us to take the long view to see the big picture I couldn't but help think about the current controversy within our own United Methodist Church denomination these days. We're in the midst of a contentious debate about how we're going to go forward over many things, but sort of around the hot-button issue of how we're going to treat people in the LGBTQ community. It's not been a great witness, I do not believe, to the world in terms of how we have treated one another in the midst of that debate. But I think this text can help us because it reminds us to take the long view. So in the midst of the angst and the anxiety and the sadness and the loss that many are feeling, in the midst of the harm and the meanness and the ill spirit that sometimes pervades, 1 Peter says, take the long view. Remember what God has done in Christ and have hope. And I think of our own history over these last 200 plus years, Most of us maybe have only known one church or one form of Methodism, but there have been many, many forms of Methodism. And I believe God has worked in all of those different branches of the Methodist family. And we may end up branching off or dividing into two or three different groups as we go forward. But I am sure that if we are seeking to be followers of Christ, 
and we're being sensitive to God's Holy Spirit leading us into the future, that God will be at work within us and amongst us just as God has been at work over the centuries, and that we can trust that God's love can lead us to a better place and a better future, even in the midst of our current controversy. 1 Peter says it this way, short-term suffering maybe long-term glory for sure disappointment now perhaps but fulfillment forever earthly death is inevitable but eternal life eclipses even that remember the good news First Peter wants us to remember the good news and take the long view despite whatever circumstances we find ourselves in today. My niece sent me a story about an American family getting ready for Mother's Day. It was mom and dad and three kids, a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and one just getting ready to turn one. But it was Mother's Day, the day of rest. Mom says, not so much. Not really at her house, she said. She said, we're all trying to get ready to get to church. But you know, so many things are going on, and I've got the boys at the table eating cereal. Next thing I know, they erupt into a fight over who gets the toy and this and that. She says, I'm upstairs in my bedroom trying to put on my makeup while I'm nursing my child. I don't know where Dad is. But we're all trying to get ready. My middle child comes up and asks for my chapstick. She said, I don't know what it is with this kid, but ever since he could speak, he was asking for chapstick. He just loved chapstick. She said the problem was every time I handed it to him, he would use it and wander off, and I'd lose my chapstick. So I finally got a tube I put in a drawer in the bathroom. The next time he asked, I took him in there and I said, here's the chapstick you can use. You can take off the cap, use the chapstick, put the cap back on, put it in the drawer. It will always be there for you. She said he seemed to get that and do that fine. But this particular morning, he came to me and said, Mom, can I use the chapstick? She says, sure. He goes in, uses it, and leaves. She says, finally, I'm ready. The kids are ready. We're loading up the car, dad's driving, the oldest is buckled in, the youngest in the car seat. I look around and chapstick kid is not there. <laughs> she said, I go back in the house. He's not in the living room. He's not in the dining room. He's not in the kitchen. I go to his bedroom. He's not there. I go in my bedroom. I don't see him until I round the corner. And there he is with the tube of chapstick and the cat. The chapstick's open, and she says, with all seriousness, he looks right at me and points to the cat's rear end and says, chapped. <laughs> she said, you have to admit, if you have a cat, it looks kind of chapped. <laughs> but then he reaches out his little arm, and he starts putting chapstick on the cat's rear end. <laughs> I'm thinking, what in the world? But the cat doesn't even seem to mind. <laughs> And then it comes to my mind, is this the first time? <laughs> oh, no! Well, 
that child is still alive <laughs> because mothers take the long view and believe that children can grow and learn and do better, that the future can be better. They give their children a chance and another chance and another chance. Moms at their best are full of hope and share that with their children and believe in a brighter future. It's the right perspective for moms and it's the right perspective for us as Christians. As this particular chapter ends, First Peter is talking about what God has done in Christ and what our future is like and says this about Jesus Christ. It says, Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. First Peter says, Jesus is with God. That's where the future is and yours is there too. You can trust God to lead you and bring you into the future. Now, on Mother's Day, as Reverend Venable so beautifully articulated in her prayer, we don't all come with the same feelings. Some of us are grieving the loss of a mother just in this last year. Others of us might be grieving and missing a mother who died decades ago. Some of us could say, oh, we had great moms. Others think not so much. Some of us here might be struggling with motherhood and whether or not we want to take that step or grieving that we've tried and we can't take that step. But wherever you are on this Mother's Day, this passage has good news for all of us. For it reminds us of this trust in Christ and His resurrection. Live in hope. Look to the future. Take the long view for Christ is alive, this author says. And God's love is alive in the world. So when you are asked, he says, be ready to share the reason for your hope with others so that they too might have hope for a brighter future. We said in our affirmation this morning, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And Paul, in that passage we were using for the affirmation, talks about all the different things that might separate you from the love of God in Christ and says, I have come to believe that none of that can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ. One of the other affirmations says that we believe that God is with us in life and death and life after death. That God's love is stronger and more pervasive than any and everything else in the universe. And God's love is at work in our lives for our good. It's a reason we have hope. Go forth and be ready to share your hope with others whenever asked. Amen. And thanks be to God.